Hey everyone, welcome to the B2B Power Hour podcast, where we release special interviews with marketing and sales leaders, as well as our live show, all in audio format. If you haven't already, make sure to follow Nick and I out on LinkedIn. Our profile links are in the description, or you can also just search for us or B2B Power Hour. Now on to this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to the B2B Power Hour with your host, Nick. And Morgan, the other guy, the other host. I'm glad you showed up, buddy. I was getting a little worried you're going to leave me hanging there. I know. The other guy always shows up. How are you, Nick? Happy Friday. I'm great. How is moving going? You're oh, a little bear behind you there. Yeah, it's a whole picture. We'll soon have a new background on my side of the recording. Very exciting um, and uh, very close to, to getting the move done. I feel like so, we're actually tied for backgrounds for once. I know. I'm excited to see your office get completed one of these days. And I know all of our audio listeners are like, what are these guys talking about? <laughs> I want to talk about it more. Yeah, well, well let's, not, let's not go any further <laughs> into our, uh, our video backgrounds. And let's dive into today's topic. Nick, why don't you introduce it for everyone? This one's a little bit interesting considering that inbound conference is going on right now. And I want to talk about the fall of inbound marketing Uh, and how does that make you feel, Mr. Morgan Smith, as a marketer? uh, Well, it makes me really excited to talk about it. (laughs) I think that inbound marketing has run its course. The existing playbooks for inbound marketing have run their course. I think people's expectations of the buying process people's desires for how they want to interact with B2B brands, they've all changed and they, they continue to change and they will continue to change. And it makes me sad to see all of these brands still run playbooks from 2009, 2012. And honestly, even looking through like industry leading materials out in the marketplace that are current, they still adhere to this old school thinking about how to do digital marketing. And I think inbound is not overrated. It's actually an extremely necessary component of any business's marketing activities. And I think in the long run, businesses should be working towards a higher proportion of inbound leads compared to outbound leads greater than like 50-50. It could be 60, 40, 70, 30. I'm not sure it'll ever be 100% inbound or it should be. But I do think that the ways companies execute inbound marketing is stale and dated and they're wasting a bunch of money. (laughs) And they're relying way too much on technology. I, I love inbound as a salesperson because as a sales professional, when you have trust coming into a conversation, it allows you to go so much deeper have so much more meaningful conversation and provide a way more robust offering. Solve bigger problems, really. But how often with inbound, do you have somebody come inbound and it's no different than a cold call because the marketer didn't qualify them properly and you're talking to them and they don't even know why the salesperson's calling them. Be like, why are, what do you mean I filled out a form or what do you mean I did this? I just had that experience the other day. It's so frustrating being the buyer and being on the buying end of this old playbook where I downloaded an ebook or a couple ebooks even from this uh, resource for entrepreneurs. And it was good material. I just wanted to read it. And this poor salesperson has hounded me now for three months. And there's been follow-up emails and calls and all the rest of it. 
And as the buyer, I'm not really inclined to respond because I'm not interested. Uh, and now, because it's been so long, I'm kind of curious to see how long they'll continue to pursue me as, frankly, an unqualified lead. I literally just put in my name and my email to download these ebooks. So the fact that they've dedicated however much of this person's time to, and that means money, especially for a salesperson, however much of the organization's money to try and to pursue me to literally have a conversation and learn more is such a disservice in our modern world. It's a waste of money and it's a waste of everyone's time, especially the client's time. It's just an outdated playbook. And that's why inbound is dying. It's not dying because it's not effective. It's not dying because it's not how people want to buy. It's dying because people are being lazy and they're implementing it in a way that it's not fit to be implemented. People 10 years ago, they were just, the whole buyer-focused movement was just starting. Sellers no longer had all the information, so buyers were able to do their research, and then they would seek out their suppliers and make that connection. And so a lot of that was getting in front of it to go and get that information out there. The information's out there. Yep. It's out there. <laughs> we're past that. And this is the thing that I haven't seen people adjust to, is that we need to move on. The next stage isn't about more information. It's not about better. Well, it is about better information. I won't go touch on that yeah. too much, but yeah. <laughs> it's about earning trust mm -hmm. and it's about establishing credibility so that people want to talk to you. And that is where inbound is failing. And I think that's ultimately what's going to knock it to the ground. Yeah. It's disappointing because I would love to see inbound ramp up and see better marketers go and have better knowledge of their customers, provide that information out there to go and draw out the people that are ready instead of all these vanity metrics that are forced on salespeople to go and hit volume when it delivers no value to the end user. Totally. Well, and one thing, Chris Walker had mentioned this recently, and just to riff on this concept, in the B2C world, there are no salespeople. So, so you. marketing has to do the whole job. <laughs> it has to do the outbound job. It has to do the inbound job. It has to, marketing in the B2C world, especially e-commerce, has to convince someone that buying is a good idea and bring them to the point of purchase, right? That's all marketing in the B2C world. And I think the mistake that I see most often is that, Marketing is not driven to the sale in the B2B world. It is driven to the salesperson in the B2B world. And we can talk about how that's skewed as well. Obviously, the way that traditionally that's been optimized is MQLs and basically names and emails of people that the sales team should follow up with, which isn't actually that useful. You don't know if they're going to buy. You don't know if they're ready to buy. Uh, there's not good intent data. And even if there is good intent data, the digital experience for purchasing your product also maybe falls flat. And then they still have to talk to a salesperson to try and buy the product. I don't know if you can change that. You may still have to have a, a conversation with an account executive. I'd be interested on your opinion about this to close the sale. But I certainly believe that moving forward, this is true today, and it will be even more true in the next three to five years that marketing should be handling about 80% of the sale in the B2B world. And what I mean by that is from 
oh, what's the traditional industry term? I know everyone is, I hate industry lingo, but it's like awareness from awareness that uh, what top of funnel awareness all the way through to conversion marketing should be able to handle about 80% of that. And we'll dive into what that looks like in a little bit and how that needs to be executed. But from the get-go, marketing should not be driving leads to sales. That's not the goal of marketing in this new world. Marketing should be driving sales, like actual sales, actual conversions, so that the point that they actually reach out in the inbound process, they're ready to buy. And so all of that effort from learning about your brand, the first impression that they hear about your company, all the way through to the point in which they reach out and they're ready to buy, I believe all of that should be handled by marketing. And there should not be a sales component to that process. And I don't think about it in terms of a funnel, but if that helps you, you can think about it in terms of a funnel that 80% of the funnel actually drives uh, or is actually driven by marketing. I think, and this is a prediction, A, the only reason why people need salespeople is because their packaging is non-existent. Hmm. They make it too complex because they think it's complex when really they offer a pretty simple solution. But if I told you that I had 73 hammers and you said, I don't really give a shit. I just need to put a nail in a wall to go and hang something. (laughs) This is the problem. We're getting too far away, assuming people have the same knowledge, forgetting what the use factor is. My prediction is we're going to see marketing take over at least 80, if not 90% of the sales. Sales is actually going to move to fulfillment. So they're going to go and do the buying jobs and enable buyers to make good decisions and support them through that emotional journey, but also work with them for fulfillment. And we're going to see more post-transaction work from salespeople where it's been frowned upon because sales has always been touted as the transaction. Once a transaction happens, it's done. But look at, if you really want to call yourself complex, isn't that a complex failure? Hmm. Like, how could you go and stop right when the work starts? Because you've made a big promise and now you need to deliver on it. And all of this information that's flowing to the salesperson, why isn't that going to marketing? Customer success, customer service is probably the most knowledgeable team in your whole freaking company. And yet, I don't know many companies that are talking to them. And all the ones I do know are having crazy growth. But they're also the ones that are doing marketing right. So Mm -hmm. funny how that happens, Nick, (laughs) but I think you're hitting on something that's really crucial in that in the next, uh, this is becoming true now, but especially over the next three to five years, the highest performing organizations are reorienting the sorts of skills they're hiring for and the sorts of roles that they're filling in marketing sales and success. And the traditional role in marketing is to, let's say, drive content, which assists with SEO, optimize PPC campaigns on search and social, and drive MQLs to sales. And that's marketing's responsibility. Basically, is it outbound? Is it inbound? Some of it could be called outbound. Some of it could be called inbound. But basically, you're trying to drive somewhat interested people to a central landing page, and then you're optimizing all of those channels to be low cost and high traffic. And the more optimized you can get, the assumption is that the more optimized you get, you can just funnel more people in and you'll get more customers at the end of it, right? That's the traditional assumption. And sales handles from NQL to transaction. 
And that's what a minefield, first of all. And I know we've covered this before, but what like my brain every time we even touch on and you're like, yes, let's just do more. I'm like, yes, throw my more shit my way and walk here. We have people hate you. And then you're like, my sales team never follows up with leads fast enough. Yeah, because you send so much shit goes back to like the cousin versus grandma and the cousin comes over. What do you ask? So what do you want? Yep. When the marketing sends a lead, qualified lead to sales, you're like, yeah, I'll get to it in three days. What is such not a like if I get, You know, there's because, no, it's not like it's going to be good anyways. Right. Because if you have 500 MQL and your conversion rate, let's say is, I don't know, 2% of MQL, which, geez. That sounds even, generous. I know, right? That's really generous. Then what happens when you have a thousand MQLs? Like, sure, the absolute number can change, but your overall pipeline isn't. And that's because you're optimizing for the wrong things. And I think, as you point out, in product-led companies, there's certainly, I think, a stronger feedback loop between the product and success teams and sales. I know all kinds of industry terms is dangerous. Um, But for teams that are actually selling a product and also have a product roadmap and are listening intently to the market based on, you know, actual user data with their product or uh, with what they're hearing about in the market, it's a slightly different scenario. But I think the mistake that, as you point out, most companies still make is there's not shared intelligence between marketing sales and success. And success knows things or product knows things that sales and marketing don't. And marketing makes assumptions about what they think they know, and then they try and market that. And so then they might get unqualified leads or low intent leads. And then sales has to scramble. We're basically screwing over sales all the time. Sales has to scramble to try and figure out, is this person an actual customer? Are they actually qualified? Are they actually interested? And here's the clincher. This happens in inbound so often. It hurts me because basically the way the marketing playbook for inbound optimizes for names and emails and QLs. That's it. That's the, that is literally the whole marketing playbook. And basically it's just a handoff to sales. This is the traditional way of doing things. Basically you're optimizing your ad spend. And then, and this really gets me too, you're basically testing your messaging through natural experiments. So instead of talking to your customers up front or making sure marketing has the shared intelligence from sales and success or marketing itself is actually talking with customers, they're going to experiment and spend a bunch of money on three different headlines, on three different ads and see which one performs best. This is like A-B testing 101. And to me, that seems like such a waste of money because if you know what your customers want, you don't need to run an A-B test. You just run the ad. And here we are wasting a bunch of money in the background for testing messaging to create natural experiments. And then we try and optimize on that. But what are we optimizing for? We're optimizing for names and emails. We're optimizing for lead capture. And then sometimes we add a barrier between the lead capture and the salesperson actually coming in. And this is sort of to address poor performing MQLs. And that's email automation sequences, other sorts of content that we try and deliver to a name and an email that we have in a database. So then we try and quote unquote, nurture the lead. And to me, this makes no sense, mostly because if somebody, it's literally desperation. If somebody puts in their name and their email for your gated white paper or your gated ebook, that does not mean they want anything else from you. I don't know how hard that is to get across, but they may just want that ebook. 
And to nurture that relationship does not mean you get to send them more content, right? Well, it, uh, nurturing a relationship isn't promotional email drips. When in the hell have you met somebody, whether it was back in school days or neighbors in the community, and you're like, yeah, sign me up for your newsletter. I would love to hear all the stuff you could possibly sell me and dial that shit right up. When mm -hmm. have you ever heard that? And we've moved. This is why product-led companies are doing better is because what they're doing is they're learning and they're building such a thorough, in-depth knowledge of their customers, plural. I don't give a shit if you have an ICP. That persona isn't singular. Yeah, There's always multiple. And with B2B buyers, there's also different buying jobs and roles to be played. And this is where things are getting mixed up because the biggest thing when somebody calls you out of the blue is you want to know who the hell are you? What do you want? And why do I care? <laughs> the number of times I've heard that. <laughs> but now, now when I'm calling someone, who are you? What do you actually want? And what do I need to tell you that you care about right now? And if I can't answer those questions, I should not be calling you. And you marketing yep. should fuck off <laughs> and delete their goddamn email and not send them a single thing. Because mm, this is yeah. where the disconnect is coming in. Yep. And I'll, I don't know how the hell this is going to, I'm going to have to change our rating after this. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but how do you deal with this? Because we're forgetting that there's people involved, people that are got different responsibilities and it's being lost. And the reason why so many companies are failing is because they're, they think they can do something better, but they actually don't know the customer well enough. Mm -hmm. Some of the best salespeople I've ever worked with were not great salespeople. They weren't the best. I've worked with people that had better like sales skills. Mm -hmm. But the reason why they outperformed everyone else is they focused on how to go in and like get good conversations started. They could talk to anyone. They actually were genuinely curious and built really strong relationships. And they knew their product or service and the industry, like their entire category so well that buyer's remorse wasn't a thing because they would go and cover everything in their calls and they would take a little longer and slow down that initial process because they knew post-transaction is when they were going to win. And if they nurtured that and built that strong, yeah, that first sale may not make them very much money, mm -hmm. but by growing that relationship, they're going to grow that revenue stream. And that is something that's worth investing in. But Inbound, it seems to be just getting so far off track from where it started. The whole point was to go and get people to inquire because you were putting out such quality information that they were ready. Right. One of the why, why are we where we are right now? What happened? Right. One of the core three elements of a brand is delivering value. Like you, you have to deliver value for people to care about your business. And I think it's important for us to take a step back and think about marketing as a whole and, and also the way that buyers' expectations have changed. This playbook that we've talked about, optimizing for basically click-through rates, calls to action, email capture, uh, email nurturing or automation nurturing, and then a handoff to sales is a playbook that, I mean, more or less started in 2009, but probably 2012. So we've been playing this almost a decade or more, and it used to work. This the re the reason that this got put out into the world and all these marketers and agencies learned the skills and I learned these skills is because it worked.
because it was new, because you didn't used to get whole email sequences from people when you signed up for their newsletter. That was amazing. You're like, wow, look at all this content that this person has built for me, delivered right to my inbox. That's really nice when there's only like two of them. And now that there are literally 500,000 of them, you're like, I'm not going to pay attention to any email sequences. So I think the most important part to me of the marketing side of this conversation for inbound is the way people consume information and the way people make buying decisions has changed. And uh, the things that I think about most is that people need more impressions of your business and, or your product to make an informed decision than they used to. So it is actually valuable to run paid campaigns where you're just putting a video out and there's no call to action. There's no lead capture. Why? Because you're increasing your visibility with your potential audience. And honestly, it's a, it's more expensive than it used to be uh, uh, without a doubt. But it's still not super expensive to run video out on if you're wherever your audience hangs out. It could be Facebook, it could be LinkedIn, whatever. And the content itself is just providing it visibility. Again, if we begin to think like we're e-commerce marketers and our marketing has to drive the entire sell, even though in the B2B world, my opinion would be the sale itself is actually happening with an account executive or some sort of salesperson that handles the transaction and post-transaction. Marketing needs to drive most of the selling process. So what's required? Well, for me, I think ungated content on your site is huge. You should just be delivering value. You should be delivering value for free and it should be good value. <laughs> it should be valuable for your customers to read through your content. It doesn't have to be long form. It could be videos. It could be audio. I think you have to be promoting your visibility on the networks and the channels in which they hang out in. So that could be LinkedIn. You could be doing LinkedIn organic. You could be doing LinkedIn paid. I also think that uh, to promote brand visibility, uh, leveraging other networks to get people out uh, on other podcasts, on other vidcasts, on other interviews or doing placed media or earned media. What's I forget the old industry terms about the four different kinds of media, but all of that kind of stuff. And all of that does not serve a purpose of capturing their name and their email. That's the old playbook. To me, it doesn't matter if we have their name and their email. It matters to me that they come to our site or they reach out directly on LinkedIn to one of our account executives or you or I or a principal, whatever, and they want to buy. That's, that's what we have to think about. How can we drive the buying decision without ever having their name and their email? And if we get out of that lead capture mindset and we think about how do we create a buying experience for people from first touch, what is this brand? To, oh my gosh, I need this product. I want to buy from you. And they're reaching out to inquire for their company. And all of that is handled by marketing. We are going to start rolling out new tactics that are a different kind of measurable, have different kind of metrics and optimizations than they used to. And it is going to perform so much better than what most companies are doing right now to drive inbound. Uh, and I have another rant, but I want to pass it off to you. It's about SEO, and, uh, but I'll pass it off to you now. Oh, I know. This whole philosophy, it will, whether you want to or not, you can lower your headcount. You can save a ton on spending. You can stop scorching the earth behind you. Salespeople don't need robust software to go and work with those customers and they can have a handful of customers 
and really provide that one-on-one service that drives real value that they're willing to pay for. Like it, it's so funny that it's so simple and yet it's so frowned upon because people are looking for so many efficiencies in the wrong places. There, if, if I was looking for an efficient relationship, I wouldn't have gone in one. Right. Cause there's literally <laughs> nothing efficient about it. Yeah. It, it's emotional. It's tough. There's ups and downs and you have to be willing to work at it. And so as a salesperson, that's what I look at. Like, if I know that you have some real bigger buying jobs to go through and like some big hoops that you have to jump through for this to work well, I would rather invest my time and resources into helping you do that than chase you around the world about, hey, what's that whole thing like the... Hey, you have a moment to talk about your car yeah. or what, what is, what what's is, your, exa- your extended warranty here? I'm, yeah. I, I'm here to talk about your extended warranty. Yeah. That's oh, what it feels like, right? Totally. Yeah. And so the reason why this is getting so hard is not only is, are people not trusting the companies that they're interacting with, but they are, they're actually doing more harm than good. And look at those email sequences. Somebody used to spend hours preparing those email sequences and looking at the psychology behind it and looking at like, okay, if, well, if we establish this, what, what is the next logical step that'll help them like move them through this process? Nobody thinks about that anymore. They're like, Hmm, let's go search on Google for a script. Let's go and put that script in there. Let's do a, you know, a five or 20% customization and call it a day. And this is why so many companies are failing. It's because this net is too big. They don't know who they're talking to. They're not using language that they use. And LinkedIn's a perfect example. Go on LinkedIn and try to find somebody that's really good at sales, mm-hmm. putting out really good sales content. Then you'll learn quickly that there's a lot of different kinds of sales and that one person's advice isn't necessarily better, but it's definitely more relevant to different people. And so you start to refine and figure out this knowledge and how they're posting and how they show up, comments. But if all they do is you get this, you know, notification that you got a connection request, you connect with them and then you get pitch slapped instantly. Uh, How is that building a relationship? But the thing is, you could still go and approach them quick. I've had quite a few salespeople that have done their research. And this is where marketing and sales need to collaborate is they've done their research. They know whether that buyer's in market or not, or at least somewhat. They know the intent, they know the use cases, and they know to a certain degree where they've been to where they are now. And they've built a use case or some type of relevance to them. And they approach it with that. You're like, hey, you know, I looked at your website. I saw that, you know, your customer service isn't 24-7, but I have a really hard time, you know, approaching you. During the day, I need that I normally have to do it after work. Have you thought about how much that's affecting your sales? You know, something simple like that. It's hard to ignore because you're like, wow, you did your research. No, I hadn't hadn't really thought about the impact of it. But it's those impact statements. It's that value. We've got so far away from that. And it most of our messaging is so blatantly selfish. (laughs) It's true. It's all it's all law of large numbers sort of. Concept. I, I, hey, I just wanted, hey, I just, hey, I, it's selfish. If the first thing you say is you, you failed. 
Mm. There might be a few exceptions. You know, if you want to go and throw it in the comments, I would love to hear it and battle it out because I I read emails all day. I look at emails. Me, myself, and I. Yes. Don't you care about me? (laughs) The ones that win consistently are the ones that start with the customer first. Mm. It's almost like that. What was that term? Customer-centric. Right. Yeah. Uh, Customer uh, buying centric process, customer centric. But I never quite understood it because every time I saw somebody tell me they were doing it, they put themselves first. First. (laughs) Strange how that works. I don't know where the I or the you came into that, but I feel like that might be a problem. Yep. Well, and one thing I think that also does a disservice in this to loop back on the, my promise for a previous rant on SEO is that the engine that marketing uses to fuel leads to this sales process that is impersonal, that is not buyer centric is, uh, let's take search, for example, focused on getting, on casting the widest net possible. One thing that's always confused me about SEO and, and digital marketing in general over the entire last decade as this playbook was was uh, rolled out, you're targeting content for generic keywords in the hopes of being discovered. So if somebody searches for, I'm in the mood for pizza today, so let's say pizza Denver, you hope that you show up on the top of that keyword search, right? And that's a very competitive keyword. So then SEO became long tail keyword focused and the more specific searches, and basically you want to optimize and, and to do all the SEO stuff for all these long tail keywords. And my question has always been, well, why aren't people searching your business name? Because you own your business name and it is so much easier, unless if you have a very generic business name to show up first when somebody searches your business name. But this entire playbook is oriented around casting the widest net possible and trying to get them to come into your orbit somehow. And they then there, that's the bigger problem. And then stop, stop there. there. Because look, <laughs> at, even if you're looking at pizza, it's a great example. Yep. Pizza's pretty simple, but there's a lot of variations. Some good, some bad. Totally. I won't say which is what, but you, you know. Yeah, I'll keep, I'll, yep. <laughs> so what do you, what's the next, what is the next logical thing you do? So say you're on Google Maps. Yeah. What do you look for? A pizza shop that I, yeah. And I look like I go to the website and I order a pizza. That's it. Or or what's their review? Yep. Especially if I haven't had them. Look at the buying criteria. Right. What are they weighing out to determine who's the top competitors? Who are they determining? How are they making, like doing their shortlisting? And if you're not helping them with that and saying, you know, if you're looking for that, you know, if you're really looking for thin crust, we don't do thin crust. We're all about the deep dish. So you're going to, you know, you're not going to find what you're looking for here. <laughs> yeah. But it, it's simple. It's simple little things like that, that knowing your customer, you can now start diving into figuring out what, what messaging works. And yep. this is why companies like in a previous episode said they are overnight successes because they keep tweaking this knowledge or this communication and knowledge and messaging until they get it. And then once they get it, it spreads like wildfire. And this is why the product led growth is working is because it's it's referral based mm-hmm. it we're yep. going back to the basics and yep. it's getting clouded and mystified and like this whole cloak and dagger 
sales is always run on referrals. It's a reputation base. Mm-hmm. You know, people called it personal branding and they threw a lot of fluff around it. And they called it these different things. What are you known for? What are you trusted mm-hmm. about? Mm-hmm. Where's your credibility? Because mm-hmm. I know the one thing as a salesperson, as soon as I lose trust in the market and I tarnish my name, I'm done. Like just quit because there is no coming back. The world is a small place in your industry. But it, we got to go back to the basics. Yep. Yeah, and I think the the basics in in marketing for me is, I mean, as as the brand guy, and I know for so many branding is so fluffy, but uh, and and brand strategists have done that uh, unfortunately for a long time. They've made it pretty colors and fonts, and not actually like your business engine. For me, it's the same thing for an entire company, right? Like the basics of your company is how do I get more people to pay attention to me or refer business to me. And how do I get my existing customers to stick around? Everything revolves around those two central questions. And that requires you knowing your customers, knowing what you offer, knowing your positioning, being willing, being willing to say no to some customers or being willing to say you're not the right fit to some customers and uh, dedicating yourself to that goal because that's where the engine of growth happens. And this old inbound playbook is a disservice to those basics. Not because it didn't work for a time. It did. And it might have fueled those basic questions. But that was because that was how the technology worked. And that's how the world worked. Now, a buying decision is informed by lots and lots of data points and more information than you could ever manage as a single company. And so the thing I think about is, if as the marketer, I have to handle the sale, except the sale itself, and that's handled by an account executive, I'm going to do everything in my power to raise visibility for this business on every channel that makes sense. And to me, that means you run paid content on Facebook and LinkedIn. Yes, a blog could be useful, but you may actually consider creating a knowledge base or an insight base on your website. But the point of that content is not to optimize your SEO for generic keywords for pizza in Denver. It's to get people to your site when they search your business company, because everything else that you're doing out in the world leads people to search your exact brand name because, oh, they saw you out on Facebook, right? They saw this cool video that you put together or, or they got referred by a friend in a Slack channel somewhere, which you definitely can't track. And I like the, the term dark social that's been thrown around to describe that or your dark funnel. All of this is encouraging people to interact with a brand name specifically. And I think the future of inbound marketing, again, if we're considering marketing taking 80% of the sale in the B2B buying cycle requires you not to focus generically or cast a wide net. It's to promote brand visibility, to drive buying behavior that interacts with your brand specifically. And what that means to me is people are Googling for your brand name, not a generic keyword to search for your solution, right? Even if you have a good product, they're not going to search project management software. Why? Because Asana already exists. They have the brand visibility in the marketplace. If they, if you want people to hear about your company, you need to do things that improve the visibility of your company, and then they'll start searching for your company. And I think the old playbook is not wired for this, mostly because to improve visibility, to get your name out, you're not trying to capture names and emails. You're not trying to nurture through an email automation sequence. All you're trying to do is generate referrals, of course, and then also leverage the existing channels where your audience hangs out 
to promote to promote your visibility and your value. And that's why ungated content on your site is so valuable because once they hear about your brand and they go to your site and you have this blog or this knowledge base about all the things, more value than you could ever provide. And I have an example for this in a second. Uh um, it, you're going to love the brand. You're like, these people are awesome. They're helping me out. And they may not. And here's the kicker. And this is why uh, the old playbook doesn't make sense. They're not going to buy that second. They're, they're not showing up on your website and reading your free content, and then they're going to buy. They are going to wait until the moment is right when they need their problem to be solved, when they have the money for that problem to be solved. And what that buying experience establishes, because it was a valuable relationship, because now there's trust, they realize that you're a good brand, they're going to come back to you specifically. They're not going to search a generic keyword because they already have that thing. Oh, this brand was so cool. So recently, I was working on a client's project, and it was a fairly complicated web project and lots of different sort of marketplace functionality on the site. And they're interacting with B2B buyers and uh, sellers. And they were having some performance problems on their site. Our team started like Googling around, and I was also poking around because I'm just a curious person, and I wanted to see what I could learn that's out there. And there's this huge repository of knowledge at a hosting company called Kinsta and they do WordPress hosting. And this is a WordPress project. But all of this knowledge was about WordPress. It was not about Kinsta. It was about these specific technical functions. It was sort of like developer documentation, but also written towards a more public audience. So people who weren't super technically savvy could read through, potentially get some stuff. And then the developers that read through definitely get some stuff. And as I was poking around, our whole team kept on like running into these resources. I'm like, this company is really cool. And this is a great example. I had seen Kinsta before. I probably have gotten served an ad before because I interact in the web world plenty. And I thought, oh, that's cool. Just another hosting company, whatever. Okay, so that was first touch. That's awareness. The brand exists. So when I see the brand again, I'm like, oh, I've heard of these people. But then I go to their site and here's all of these resources to help me solve my problem that I'm experiencing or that my team is experiencing with our client. And we're like, wow, these people are awesome. And so we went back, we implemented the solutions and got some results. Well, then we had a conversation about, should we migrate hosting? Because it would improve performance on the site and it would solve some problems that this client was issuing. Lo and behold, who do we migrate to? Of course, Kinsta, right? (laughs) We didn't migrate, we didn't do any market research. We didn't do any A-B comparisons. We said, these people are awesome. They're a little more expensive, but they're going to deliver exactly what we need for this client. And why? Well, because all of this free resource and value was already delivered to us up front. And we made that decision in the moment, right? And then when we were ready as the buyer to to purchase the package, to do the hosting or whatever, we went to Kinsta directly or Googled the brand name directly and signed up. And that is the future of B2B sales. And that's a great example of something like a SaaS solution or things that you can sign up directly. But even if it was a normal B2B company, what I would do is I'd go directly to the site and inquire and be ready to talk to an account executive to complete the sale. And that is the new inbound playbook. That is how it should be working now. I know. (laughs) I got questions for you. Oh, yes. Go for it. (laughs) So... One of the things that I find interesting is way that people, where they consume content and how it's changed. And it's how it escalates. 
mm. based on trust and credibility. So I'll give you an example, Netflix. The classic. The weekly release versus the like deep dive dump. The bid. Where they throw in five, 10 or an entire like episodes or an entire series and people binge. Mm -hmm. The binge starts with the teaser or a referral. Mm -hmm. Oh, you got to check this out. This show is awesome. And so then you watch that first little bit and you're not quite sure. And so you watch a little bit more and then you, you know, by the second or third piece that you've touched on, you get kind of hooked. And then by halfway through, you're like, holy shit, where, what did I do before I had this in my life? Why is marketing not focusing on that? Oh, now that is a banging question. <laughs> I believe the main reason marketing. I've done that one, by the way. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> I think the main reason marketing does not focus on teasing content and sort of escalating the stakes of engagement is because we're too focused on getting their name and their email. And I'll say, I've actually changed my opinion about this over the last three to four years. I definitely used to be someone who was really focused on the call to action, getting them either their name and their email and nurturing the lead. And that's because for some time earlier, when I did like mostly web work, it worked. And that was like the early 2010s that, you know, that was the playbook and it was doing well. And now actually working with clients and seeing sort of the numbers having changed, I've changed my mind about that. It's just a, the data bears it out. It doesn't work anymore, especially in the B2B world. And I think the reason that we don't escalate content like that is because each stage of the content is gated. If you look at, and I, and I dare I bring up the name, HubSpot, talking about inbound, any valuable piece of content at HubSpot is gated. Their eBooks, their white papers. Sure, they have a big knowledge base and they have all these documentations and how-to guides and all the rest of that. That's good. But all of the meaty stuff that you actually can like dive deep in, it's all gated. There is no way to escalate content easily. If every single time you want to access it, you have to put in your name and your email and your company and your phone and your company URL and whether you want to sign up to get their updates. And I think the, the reason Netflix works, the teaser content to the binge is because it is seamless. It just rolls into the next episode, right? There's no stopping. It's like, hey, we're just going to start playing the next episode and you don't have to do anything. And I think the more that we can ground ourselves as marketers in this idea that the purpose of your marketing is not to get their name and their email, but instead is to execute the sale and they're not necessarily willing to buy the moment they hit your content, that just means you can give away your content and then you can escalate it. You can just say, hey, here's some more value for you. And whenever you're ready, come talk to us. We're ready for you. If you treat it like a news company, what do the news company do? Yeah, they want views but they want people returning for months, if not years. And one thing I'm getting really excited about is podcasts and looking more like Netflix. Mm. So how do you help people with the teaser? How do you help people get interested? How do you nurture people through those initial, you know, tiptoe stages before the deep dive? Because, you know, I think we just like 80% of the money is spent on that first before even the teaser. But this is where I think the biggest opportunity is, is spend on the teaser. Yes. And then don't eat. And I would only spend 20%. 
80% needs to go into the deep dive because the deep dive is earned. And if you do not know enough to show up in a meaningful way, people will leave. Right now, you guys listening to this, something we said in previous episodes is, is probably why you're here or unless you just stumbled upon this on LinkedIn. It's the reality. And if we haven't earned that respect, you'll leave. I will say, I really hope that you guys trust us enough to leave a comment to give us feedback mm -hmm. because that is how we grow. Mm -hmm. And that's the future. The future mm -hmm. is this open dialogue that we got away from because companies got scared and they started shouting at people. They started to have that one-sided conversation. Inbound was designed to be a conversation back and forth. And we got away from the roots. And this is why sales and marketing are struggling so much. And uh, I don't know if there's anything you want to add to this before I ask my next question, but. I, I mean, the, the only thing that had popped up, which I think is important to know, and I'm not necessarily a huge pessimist about this, but uh, certainly I am skeptical. I do think that some of the industry motions are sort of fueled by a combination of technology and agencies. And I think the technology side sort of optimizes for specific actions. HubSpot optimizes for MQLs, for example, names and emails. That's what, that's what they charge on. That's how they're optimized. And email automation sequences and an attribution software and all the rest of it uh, sort of creates an environment for certain behaviors to be had without much strategic thought at all because they make it so easy to use their technology. You're like, of course we should do this without any strategic thought. But I, I do think that agencies, large agencies especially, do share in this responsibility where they say they can generate X number of leads. They say that they can generate X amount of inbound and that's what they get paid for and they get paid ungodly sums, in my opinion, to uh, do that sort of work. And I do think that has skewed perceptions about how effective digital can be, mostly because, and if anybody has uh, tuned into this before, most agencies can't deliver on what they promised. And so you pay them however much money and they run ads, but those ads are ineffective because they're using this old playbook. So they try and capture names and emails. Nobody does that anymore. You paid however much money to this external firm, and then they drive a bunch of crap to your sales team. And it's useless. And so the owners and the leaders of companies begin to have this informed perception that digital's cool. I use digital, but it's not effective for my company. And I think that is a huge disservice to the inbound playbook because digital is super effective. It's just being poorly used. And I think the reason it's been poorly used is because agencies can continue to get paid uh, uh, a lot of money. And their staff who has specific skills in this old playbook can continue to optimize that money for tactics that don't work anymore. And, and that's not, I mean, it's part of the picture. It's not the whole picture, but it's something that I see too often for it with clients that I've interacted with where they've had a poor experience with an agency previously in the B2B world for it not to be a part of the problem in our industry as marketers. Other question, my friend. Thank you. <laughs> I think that was, that was a really good addition, but it ties so perfectly into my next question. <laughs> so on my board, I have evergreen written. Oh, yes. Can you, in your words, not what it, the marketing bullshit has made it. What is evergreen supposed to be? Oh, I think this is so critical. 
because after the way this whole podcast is rolled out, this whole yep. show, yep. it's so critical to go ahead on this one. So let's listen, so, boys and girls. <laughs> evergreen content to me as a marketer is developing high value and persistent value content. So it is stuff that is true about your industry 10 years ago and 10 years from now. That's the best way I can think about it. And if you're in an emerging industry, evergreen content is stuff that you know is true about your customers and the problems that you solve for them. That shouldn't change, right? Because he, he, and especially if you have a good product and you know your customers well. If you know your product solves a specific problem that has not yet been solved, that means that that problem exists in the world and has existed in the world since human civilization began. That is the thesis of most startups. This problem, or, you know, since the problem emerged. And the problem may be new as well. It doesn't have to be old, but the problem exists. And so people are experiencing that problem. So evergreen content is stuff that can be applicable to that problem, no matter what and no matter when. And I think, to me, the difference between um, evergreen content and sort of SEO specialized content or, uh, let's see here, what getting on the bandwagon of the next, yeah, trend, topic of the week kind of thing, is you can look at the quality of the evergreen content. The way it resonates with your audience is just 10 times greater than anything you do that's topic of the week. And over time, right. And so your evergreen content may not actually generate results for you in the short run. It should, right? It may it may generate the same number of results as your other sorts of content you put out that's more topic focused, uh, a topic of the week focused, or something that's like sort of trendy right now. Uh, but three years down the line, your evergreen content is still going to be generating interest and your topic of the week stuff is never going to be looked at again. And I, I think we both admire a couple writers who do this. I think um, Blair ends at win without pitching is a good example where if you look at his, uh, his site, he doesn't actually have that much content in his blog. It's it's a handful of posts, 20 to 30 maybe, but every single one of them is basically evergreen. And that means that, and there's some stuff written in there from 2011, I think. And I can look at a 2011 post and go, this is awesome. I learned so much from this. That's evergreen content to me. And his book, Win Without Pitching. His book, Win Without Pitching is evergreen. Why content. has it been, why has it exploded? Because it's simple. It's to the point, And it talks about a glaring problem for somebody he knows really well. And you know what? I bet you it didn't take off like a racehorse. It wasn't, and I've never asked Blair, but I bet you it wasn't crazy. Yeah. did okay, but I bet you it wasn't crazy. But I bet you it's going to keep building up momentum because I know uh, David C. Baker always jokes because he's his publisher that he hates pulling out those books and because <laughs> he keeps selling and it keeps selling. <laughs> but, but that's the change of mentality that we need to have. And this is where I'd like you to go next with this conversation, Morgan, mm -hmm. is that the people that have the small win mentality, that evergreen, how can I produce content that you, you, you want to do the deep dive and why gated content kills that natural urge? So 
I'm sure you've looked up a, a recipe on the internet before, right? Oh my god! <laughs> so that's been running every internet. time. This is an every- internet meme, right? <laughs> I there's there's nothing that's made me want to throw my phone yep. four times, and it's like back in the olden day, and they write like this twenty five hundred to five thousand word freaking story, and I feel like they could. I wish they had like a comment box in, and it's like. I just would like to let you know pleasantly that I couldn't give two shits about your stupid full shit story. But do you but know I'm why they blog. do that? Do you know why they do that? Yeah, ads. Yeah. SEO and ads. Those are the only two reasons. It is time on page, which boosts your SEO and the exposure to ads. And then the keywords that they can fill into that story that allow them to boost their SEO on specific content searches. That's, that's it. bullshit too. I know. What polls now? What does Google do? is now people have the ability to rank them. Yep. And they pull the ratings. Yep. Once again, it goes back to peer review. Yep. So SEO that shit all you want. Yep. If somebody but- says that your recipe is compared to somebody else's recipe and they scored it this, your SEO will lose to your peers. Mm-hmm. This is This is the case study for evergreen content and gated content because... Gated content is like being forced to read the 5,000 word essay before getting to your recipe. Oh, that's where you were going with this. I was curious. Yeah. It's a great example. And I was like, because everyone gets so frustrated when they look up a recipe on the internet and they have to, and they, and some sites now have the like jump to recipe button. Thank God. I put but others, ones. but others don't. Right. And you have to scroll, 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 scroll. And then because they insert ads every which way, the page loads weird. And so things are jumping all over the place and it's really difficult to use. That is the gated content experience. And to me, it's it's different in the B2B world. Obviously you have to put in your name and your email and potentially your other firmographic information about how big your company is, what your website is, et cetera. And there are some ways that uh, like Newfangle gets around this, which is you do progressive profiling. So you ask for their name and their email first, and then on their next request, you have a cookie that allows you to replace that with then their, it's only their company name and, and email instead of asking for the same information over and over again. But I think no matter the gated content, it's not that valuable enough. <laughs> like to me, if it's so valuable, sell it as a book. And to, I think the future of, of digital content and a written content on the internet is it's either free or it's in a book. And it free to access, easy to access, or it's in a book. Because if it's valuable enough that people, and you can create a sales cycle around the book, that'd be fun. That's a cool marketing challenge. Put it in a book. That's valuable content. People will pay for it if it's that valuable. Otherwise, if you don't think it's valuable enough that you could earn money off of it, you don't earn people's name in their email off of it. I don't think, uh, because remember, in the competitive landscape today, trying to get somebody's name and email for your content, they have the expectation already that that you're going to send them emails afterwards, or there's going to be a sales follow-up from that, or they're going to get calls. That is how the landscape works right now. So it, you, your ability to stand out, the value, the advantage you can provide and the value that you can provide in the competitive landscape today is not to do that. You can stand out against your competition by simply providing really good content that maybe isn't worthy of a book just for free. And so now you can ignore the entire 
uh, archaic process of putting <laughs> recipes out and writing 5,000 word stories and having people bang their heads against the desk as they try and get to your white paper, which I'm sure is good, but not good enough to be gated. Because again, if you get into this mindset where you say, okay, I'm trying to sell this person as the marketer, I'm trying to sell this person on our company. The best way to do that is to provide the easiest experience to interact with everything your company has to offer. And the more difficult you make that, the more you're going to shoot yourself in the foot. Imagine what would happen if somebody with those recipes said, I'll, I'll tone down my language, screw the, screw the write-up. Mm -hmm. What if we just asked people how we can make it better, what they've done to tweak it, and they gave credit? So-and-so did this, so-and-so did this, and they almost had like a Reddit forum. Yes. Could you imagine what that would do to their SEO and their reputation? And another one, there's this person, uh, some people might know him. I, I think it, uh, uh, Seth Godin, I know he's done like a little bit of marketing. <laughs> Just a uh, little bit, Nick. <laughs> my first like introduction to Seth Godin was a book at the library. Mm-hmm. There was so much information that I went and bought that book. Mm -hmm. All of his books were available at the library. I bought every single book, 18 or something ridiculous that he has. And I love them and I read them quite often because they're still relevant. But reading that one book had me so hooked, so hooked. I wanted to spend money and I wanted to go in and I started seeking out different ways to go and hear what he was talking about faster. Oh, he has a podcast. Yeah. I went on his podcast. And then what happened, Morgan? <laughs> he took a workshop and I met Morgan. Yep. Yep. We met in the Seth Godin workshop. And I think, but what's so interesting about what you um, brought up is there is no fluff in Seth's work and what and this is a delicate balance for companies that are selling a product in a competitive environment where, so let's take project management software for, for an example. This is sort of top of mind right now. Um, when you Google, let's take Asana versus Trello, what happens? There's all of these sites and they're all project management software sites that have written a blog that compares Asana versus 17 other options. And option one is always their product, but then they add on the 16 other options beneath it. And what is it? It's all fluff. It's all pointed to SEO. One thing I've always thought would be a very interesting marketing strategy, and I think it would be standout if it was an incredibly visible strategy, is, and not just something that they do like little things here or there, is if project management software companies taught project management. And so they built an entire content library to help their target audience. And Asana is a, a, a poor example here because they have so many audiences they use, but let's say it's an entrant to the space. And all they do is they help, let's say, entrepreneurs and uh, project managers at growing tech companies manage better projects. And they build libraries of videos and they do free events and trainings about how to use and do project management better. That would be a standout initiative in a market that's so focused on, oh, well, there's kind of one of everything. And that'd be difficult. It's a very mature market. I don't know if that would work today. It probably would have worked four years ago if those companies really decided to do that, because what you're doing is you're providing high value up front. 
you're building trust with your customers, and you're also delivering a product that's better than your competitors in specific ways for those audiences. Um, the conversation scales and changes as you get into like larger companies and enterprise. Those are, but if you're going after that, it could be a different strategy. But that's a good example of actually, to your point, delivering value to people versus trying to compete on the merits of a search engine. I just noticed that we're rounding the hour here. We are. Like, I could keep going about this for a long time because we're getting some good things. So before our next show, look at Spotify, look at Netflix, look at how you digest content and what you do when you're starting to look at a new piece of content or what, what happens when you, you finish your favorite piece of content and you don't know what to watch next. What do you do? And no, let's start there. Would you like to close us off? Thank you everyone for tuning in today to B2B Power Hour with Nick and Morgan. I hope you've enjoyed it. I hope we do not earn a mature audience rating based on our conversation today. Uh, But I think based on, uh, in America at least, our standards are PG-13s are allowed uh, one F word. So I I think we uh, passed with flying colors there. And uh, I, <laughs> I really appreciate everyone tuning in and I'm sure we will continue this conversation in the future in all of the directions that it can go. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to this episode of the B2B Power Hour podcast. Make sure to subscribe to catch all of our upcoming episodes and we'll see you next time.